This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Growing concern about the relationship between President Donald Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin. It's uncomfortable watching it as an intelligence professional because it's clearly, if you would, a a rather codependent denial and deception campaign. Douglas London, a former senior-level CIA officer who sent intelligence to the president, says that relationship is worrisome. I I lack confidence that the president uh, is making the right decisions and facilitating U.S. security posture to adjust and adapt accordingly to threats as they evolve, and in some cases directly impedes that work. So how will this impact U.S. national security and the U.S.'s confrontation with Russia? That's coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The U.S. relationship with Russia changed when President Donald Trump took office. There had been attempts by both of his immediate predecessors, Barack Obama and George W. Bush, to reset or improve relations with Russia. Both failed. Part of the reason for the failures were the geopolitical differences between the U.S. and Russia. Part of it had to do with the U.S. leaders' unwillingness to surrender their beliefs to a system run by people whose beliefs are so fundamentally different. Here, black means black, yes means yes, truth is non-negotiable. But there, black can be black or white or gray or red, yes can mean no or maybe, and truth can be whatever the Kremlin system says it is. With President Trump, the relationship and approach has been different, not because of Russia's 2016 election meddling, but a fundamentally different approach to handling Russia, an approach that few people understand. One of those few is Douglas London, a former CIA officer who joined us to explain. Doug, I'm not going to ask you to look into a crystal ball and figure out what's happening in the president's head. Rather, I'm going to ask you, what is the impact of what he's doing and has been doing seemingly since he took office? He's never really had a good relationship with the intelligence community, or at least it doesn't seem as such. Um, It's been a scenario where he started by uh, questioning the work that the IC does and has done. So this latest episode, what message does that send to you, an alumni of that organization and those that are still working? The danger, unfortunately, goes beyond the feelings and sentiments of the IC professionals. They do their job. I served multiple administrations going back to the 80s. So it served under Republicans and Democrats and 
you know, one keeps their own politics inside. The job is to protect the United States. The job is to inform the president's decision-making based on nonpartisan intelligence. Uh, the IC's provision of information is rather clinical. It's not like the press. There's no sensational headlines. There's no angle. There's here's what's going on. We want to bring it to your attention, particularly through the president's daily brief. We want to put evolving issues on the president's radar before they get out of hand, before it gets too late. And we obviously hope and expect that the president and policymakers will take this on board and put national interest before personal interest. The message clearly the president has, has provided, not just to the intelligence community, but the country is that uh, you know, he prioritizes his personal interests. That was um, evident early in my tenure providing intelligence upwards that went to the president uh, in terms of what he was interested in, what he wasn't. Uh, and his preferences tended to be either on sensational headline kind of operations or targets in a counter-terrorist world that uh, he felt would advance his interest and particularly a, a deflection of reporting that doesn't align with his own agenda or interest. And we found that in the case of Russia, as well as in the case of Iran, and, and I think even North Korea early on after the president took on board the, um, the effort to, on his own, engage the, the head of state there. So the danger for Americans is that um, I, I lack confidence that the president uh, is making the right decisions and facilitating U.S. security posture to adjust and adapt accordingly to threats as they evolve, and in some cases directly impedes that work in terms of what he sees as his priorities will obviously be reflected by the agency heads throughout the IC, whether it be CIA, DIA, and NSA. And if the president doesn't want to focus on a particular issue because he either doesn't agree or it undermines his political message, then you're going to see that tangibly uh, impacting the way the intelligence community aligns its own resources and priorities to support the security of the country. What does your knowledge of the president's relationship with Vladimir Putin and Russia over decades tell you about why he's doing what he's doing now? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable watching it as an intelligence professional because it's clearly, if you would, a, a rather codependent denial and deception campaign. So I offer it as codependent because I'm not necessarily going to suggest that they're conspiratorially working it out together, even though there's a lot of evidence of phone calls between the two which aren't being captured in the traditional manner that allows experts to kind of weigh in on, on what's going on. But they both seem to operate as, as an intelligence service would, in using, again, what we call denial and deception campaign to compensate for weaknesses, to influence, to appeal to certain bases, and to move forward uh, sentiments that will support their own agenda. Obviously, the president wants to appeal to those who support him at the ballot box, and, and Vladimir Putin wants to support Russian, what I would see as aggression, and expanding his power uh, and consolidating power at home internally by repressing any sort of form of democracy or open press, it seems to dovetail all, all too well where the President of the United States is uh, 
echoing and sometimes expanding on disinformation themes generated by Vladimir Putin's intelligence service and the Russian intelligence services are doing likewise when the president is uh, one providing top cover to the Russians for some of their aggression, be it the uh, election interference, Crimea, Ukraine, their role in Syria, their expansion in Libya. It's, uh, it's disconcerting to watch it all play out as an intel officer and, and see the damage being wrought. Fiona Hill, General uh, Mattis, the former uh, defense secretary, um, there have been a long list of other uh, former national security officials and, you know, former CIA heads, including Brennan and Hayden and others who have come out and have said there is a fundamental issue that's going on right now with Washington echoing those messages that you're talking about, which are clearly lies, the disinformation campaigns. So do you think the folks are doing this on just being just doing this on their own volition or are they somehow being compelled to do this and i'm talking about the people on the hill who've um who've who've essentially uh, echoed these false narratives and the president himself are they being forced to do this by under some circumstance what's the reason for doing it when the best minds in the intelligence and military world have told them that this information is false well, um, it's tempting to go down the rabbit hole of salacious possibilities, as, as we sometimes see in the press about, you know, is Trump under pressure? Do the Russians have something on him? And I don't dismiss those possibilities, but I don't think they're required as well. It comes down to politics. And sadly, an atmosphere that I haven't seen in my almost four decades uh, in the intel community, where there wasn't a firewall between politics and national security interests. A lot of U.S. foreign policy over these years and those that I served, there was at least some, some consistent continuity in objectives and aims. There were sometimes differences in how they were reached under Republican or, or Democratic administrations. Uh, today, we see a full tilt turn in our dynamic with Russia, particularly. And of all the countries or groups in the world, I would believe the United States is greatest threatened uh, by Russia. It has the greatest capacity to do us harm militarily and, and such. So when you see these changes, it just seems to me as a, as a government official or former that there's just been a dismissal of realities uh, and, and a dismissal of responsibilities. The president, uh, again, uh, I, I wasn't sitting before him briefing him. I certainly provided the intelligence up his way and received the feedback is simply not interested in hearing things he does not instinctively believe or want to believe. One can take whatever examination of, of how he looks at the world <laughs> psychologically, but that's the bottom line and the reality. You know, we've had presidents who haven't necessarily liked the CIA, uh, famously Richard Nixon, angered still at his perception the CIA supported Kennedy in, in their earlier election wouldn't even take the presidential daily brief in person, but he certainly listened to his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger, who was a very capable person who provided that information. The president has surrounded himself by political operatives, by those who share his philosophy 
and sadly share their dismissal. One keeps thinking, as, as was sometimes conjectured in the press, well, at the outset of the president's term, he at least had adults in the room. He had Mattis, he had Kelly, he had Tillerson, folks like that, all of whom have gone and all of whom he's now chastised as being failures, hacks, and what have you, and is now simply surrounding himself by people who want to make him happy, sycophants, and who don't have the qualifications uh, and background to understand these are real problems. Radcliffe as director of national intelligence, preceded by Richard Rennell before him, not only did they lack any experience or qualifications for the job, which is actually required by the law, the 2004 Intel Reform Act, but um, they've gone out of their way to operate more in a political field. When I, when I read of uh, National Security O'Brien's uh, comments about, well, yeah, the, these intelligence reports were referred to in, in the, uh, at least the PDB that was conjectured to have been in the press on 27 February. He laid accountability on, on an analyst who did the briefing. It's like blaming the mailman for bills that you don't want to receive and, and don't want to pay. But if you look at O'Brien's background, and I worked with him as well when he was head of the Hostage Fusion Center, that's his focus. It's politics. It's helping the president. That was certainly Pompeo's role as director of CIA and then subsequently as uh, secretary of state. And, and I understand there's balance between serving your boss and making sure he's doing well uh, and, you know, making sure the nation is safe. But uh, that balance has been disproportionately perverted in this administration. How much trouble is the USN, given what you've just laid out to us, and many of us have suspected at least some 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 elements of what you've talked about over time, taking uh, having a very negative impact on the national security and the you know the security of everyone. Give us a sense of just how much trouble we're in when it comes to Russia, because a very smart person told me some years ago that Russia is a nation of chess players. And uh, one of the hallmarks of being a chess player is thinking moves ahead. And of course, the national uh, intelligence uh, apparatuses of Russia are going to do that. And my question again is how much trouble are we in and how far behind are we? Well, the good news is uh, the United States has uh, the fortune of a great many professionals uh, in the intelligence community, in the armed forces, in the diplomatic corps, throughout the various government agencies who kind of put their head down and do their job every day protecting the United States. And they'll continue to do so regardless to the best of their abilities. Um, the IC likewise are uh, complete with excellent chess players. That is how you conduct intelligence. You have to look multiple steps ahead. Uh, you have to understand what second and third order consequences are going to be of every action you take and whatever response and reaction to try to manipulate your adversaries to a position where you are mitigating against the threats they could pose and, and in turn seizing opportunities yourself. So yes, the Russians do that. The Russians generally, in my experience, are, are lacking in our, in our innovation and agility, which is why we have fortunately come out on top, at least I believe so, certainly in, this, in the Cold War. But we're at a point now where we're not uh, even playing chess with them. It's sort of a single-player board where uh, the president uh, has repeatedly allowed them to probe and test red lines, which they have done without checking them. This issue in Russia, and I'm not really, uh, with Afghanistan, that is with Russian bounty, I'm not really comfortable with the word bounty. It's not one an intelligence community professional would use. We probably put it in terms more likely as 
while the Russians are incentivizing Taliban attacks against American forces with, with material and financial aid. And like any intel service working for proxy, they're going to demand proof of performance. So in order to continue getting that aid and in fact seek expanded aid, the, the Taliban is going to prove they're using Russian aid as directed, which would be against U.S. forces. So you would see videos and whatever, whatever evidence that we're sort of accepting that without doing anything about it will encourage the Russians to be more aggressive and see what else they can get away with. That certainly is what happened in Syria, where they basically were given empty space in deploying their forces. It's happening uh, regularly in Libya, where they've gone from a few mercenaries to a lot of mercenaries to now combat aircraft and, and various uh, offensive as well as defensive systems and their encroachment further and further into Europe, um, starting with Ukraine and the Crimea, but going uh, as well now to what I am concerned about is more central Europe, such as Poland and Hungary, and those states which is traditionally try to exercise influence over. You have to draw red lines for the Russians, and it doesn't necessarily mean coming to brinksmanship and, and a state of hostilities, but there's a reason why during the Cold War, the Russians and CIA uh, didn't kill a lot of each other's officers, or they really didn't, because they understand that was a red line. They understand, here's how far we'll let you go. Uh, if you don't demonstrate that with the Russians, and of course they will continue to probe, they're going to continue pushing where it's an increasing threat. So kind of getting back to your initial question, it's a good news, bad news story. The good news is the United States uh, and its people have some of the, the best, the best, I believe, working across the IC and the military and diplomacy to protect them. The bad news is uh, they have a chief of state and the president who surrounded himself by similarly minded sick fans generally who are not doing what's required to provide the support and enablement for us to do our job and protect the country. Why does the term bounty or some other word matter? What's the, what's the difference? I mean, if, it's, if the outcome is the same, what, what, what is the difference? I'm just trying not to be antagonistic, but I'm just trying to figure this out because I've heard this before. It's not necessarily what was likely said, the term bounty, that maybe the press just simplified it, but does it make a difference? Well, that's a really fair question, and it goes to the heart of what the IC does. The IC in its reporting is, is intending to be clear, concise, and not allow a great deal of room for misunderstanding or misinterpretation. So um, it avoids use of words that might be sensational or hyperbolic and such like that. I teach a, a class of, of this at Georgetown University. They're very kind enough to let me teach a, a graduate class in writing for intelligence and, and alternative analysis. And I make the point to my students that you have to, to leave uh, as little room possible that your point will be misunderstood. What you write sometimes, it makes sense to you, but doesn't necessarily make sense to your audience. So it has to become clinical, which is why it's a lot more dry than journalism or literature and, and students sometimes struggle. A bounty, if you would, right, the way I think Americans look at bounty, they think of the Wild West and posters and rewards and kill this person. And so a bounty infers a great deal of advertisement, doesn't it? It means everybody knows about it. You know, get out there and, you know, you know, $500 reward for, for killing Tex Armstrong and for the bank holdups he was involved in. So a bounty could mean that. It could mean different things to different people. If you are more specific and drill down, you tell the policymaker, the intelligence consumer that 
the government of Russia is providing financial incentives to the Taliban to conduct attacks against Americans, you can say, yeah, isn't that a bounty? But that may not necessarily be, but it leaves no room for interpretation. That's black and white. And if you look at even what has gotten to the press, comments made, as I referred to earlier, by Generals Mattis, Generals Nicholson, and even General McKenzie in his recent uh, interview about this very issue, and I found it amusing that different uh, media outlets had very different um, headlines. Uh, some said he doesn't believe it, and some said, oh, he's really worried about it. He said, he said a number of those things in, in saying the Russians aren't our friends. We're aware they've been making trouble. It's not as big an issue in terms of impact as perhaps what the Pakistanis have done, nor the, even maybe the Iranians. That's subject to argument. But he's aware, and he found it worrisome. It's just not something that he was comfortable that he could take to a court of law that one could tie the money, the times I believe claimed to have been found by JSOC operatives or the individuals involved in the middlemen as having been part of all that. But that moves towards a focus on the word bounty and away from what's the bottom line. Bottom line is the United States intelligence community had intelligence to which they were confident that the Russians were supporting the Taliban in attacks against Americans and that the president was aware and the president chose to do nothing about this where with information of a similar nature involving other countries, namely Pakistan and Iran, he was supportive of action, even though sometimes that was constrained by circumstances. That's why I, I have had issues with, you know, the use of the word bounty. And I think it gives the president an opportunity to sort of, you know, manipulate the language as he so often does to say, there was no bounty. And in fact, there was no briefing. And then you have Robert O'Brien saying, well, yeah, it was in a PDB, uh, but, you know, we can't expect the president to read that. So what do you call a briefing? Semantics is important. So in intelligence, you know, the precision of language counts. And um, I think we just need to be asking the right questions. And I think the press needs to kind of balance this need to get people excited about a topic because, you know, I could surmise that maybe um, one of their sources who was very frustrated uh, by what was going on, which is why uh, they came forward and, uh, and, and, you know, said, oh, well, there's bounties on Americans the Russians are putting on. It really gives an out to the president and his circle to kind of say, well, none of that's true. And in their minds, they say, well, you know, I didn't read the word bounty. Nobody said bounty to me. In fact, nobody said it personally. I think since we have a president who's not being responsible about intelligence and his responsibilities, we just need to take more care and how we engage the White House for accountability. Okay, that's a very good in-depth explanation, and uh, I take everything you say about us in the media because we do tend to sensationalize things when um, it's in the interest of time or in the interest of getting a point across, albeit not intentionally sometimes. Um, last question, um, what does the U.S. get out of trying to cooperate what does the U.S. get out of trying to cooperate with Russia anyway? So if one looks at, at circumstances without really understanding the dynamics or, or how uh, Russia pursues its policy in the United States, one could say, well, my gosh, they have the same threats from ISIS. They have the same threats from al-Qaeda. These are naturally areas that are compatible. Um, there's no reason why the intel services shouldn't be talking. And surely on paper, uh, I, I, I agree, but unfortunately that's not the reality. 
Um, Vladimir Putin is a dictator. He doesn't have to worry about uh, protests in the streets, complaining about his policies. He doesn't have to worry about an open press. God forbid there are further attacks in Russia conducted by terrorists. He'll survive. He's not really in great jeopardy by that. So Putin, and he's not alone, um, Russia prioritizes that which will hurt the United States helps Russia because that which distracts the United States from challenging Russia, from maybe delving into Russia's own internal political issues and democracy and such like that, keeps the Americans out of their hair, that's better for Russia. So anything that hurts the United States, anything that bleeds the United States, anything that seeds chaos or, or division in the United States is, is a win for Russia. So Russia's campaigns with the United States, their disinformation, their denial of deception is really focused on reducing, right? Um, uh, addition through subscription. Russia is not as strong military as the United States, is not as strong economically, so it can't really compete on a level playing field. So instead, its approach delivered through its intel services is, you know, reduction. How can we hurt the United States? So when we consider working with the Russians, it's uh, really, unfortunately, we're not going to get anything out of it. They're not going to get anything back. In fact, they're going to manipulate those, those opportunities to, to influence, to seed misinformation and bad intelligence, such as rather than maybe giving us information that would lead us to terrorists, give us information on dissidents and threats that Russia feels, and that which aligns to its messaging. Remember, Russia has long contended and spread uh, the message that the United States created ISIS. The United States supports ISIS. That's their part of their disinformation message, which some of these engagements and the reporting they're going to disseminate is going to seek to achieve to make a case that supports their disinformation. So I think it's always good to talk. I think you have to have communications channels open. I think it's great to put professionals together, but let's prioritize how we use our resources. When the President of the United States takes people offline, senior intelligence officials, subject matter experts, to go spend time with the Russians and basically requires us to pass something. So he can say, see, we're giving you something. That's not only distracting us from our mission, that's at times undermining our mission. Okay, is there anything you wanna add that I haven't asked you about? <laughs> no, JJ, I mean, we, we could keep talking and I enjoy the conversation and I hope not to be too much of a downer for your audience. Again, I, 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 I think that there are, are options to improve ahead, and, and I look to the country and, and you and your journalist colleagues to kind of keep the president's feet to the fire in the, in the most efficient and effective way. Well, Doug, I'll can, I can tell you for sure, um, um, this is definitely uh, not a downer um, because, uh, you know, being in um, command of the facts um, can only improve our ability to deal with our circumstances um, and being willing to accept facts is liberating, quite frankly, to me. And I think the folks that listen to this podcast, uh, many of whom are your colleagues and former colleagues, would agree with that. And the other folks who are not in the intelligence community certainly appreciate when folks like you are honest about things. So, no, this, is, uh, this has been great. This has been very informative and very enlightening and um, in many ways, this has also been um, inspiring to some degree because it gives us something to think about as we 
look at where things are going with the U.S. as a nation, the intelligence community, and the rest of the world. So thank you. Thank you, JJ. That's it for this episode. Coming up next time on Target USA. A big victory in the U.S.'s battle to keep China out of the 5G network. Britain has banned the company Huawei. But now we're being warned China's going to retaliate. They basically threaten Great Britain that if you don't accept Huawei into your market, then there'll be other consequences. And these are these economic extortions that uh, have become commonplace. Former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers, now chairman of 5G Action Now, says if Huawei were allowed into the U.S. 5G systems, China could exact the same kind of control over U.S. citizens that it does over its own. Where they have literally hundreds of points of data per citizen, and they use that, and they being the government, uses that to determine how good a citizen you are. That's coming up in our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news and information, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can find it at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Sports are starting to come back, and Podcast One Sportsnet has got all the action covered. With tons of different sports podcasts, there is something for everyone. Check out the Rich Eisen Show for your daily coverage, the Steve Austin Show for your favorite stories from Steve Austin's amazing career, the Deegans with Metal Militia star Brian Deegan and his extreme sports-loving family, plus many more. As sports return, be sure to tune in to all the great podcasts with Podcast One, Sportsnet, so you don't miss any action. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines.